Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Hallowed Grounds, the Sports Museum Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. Before I get to today's guest, I have an exciting announcement. I'll be attending the University of Kansas this August to begin their Museum Studies Master's Program. I'll also be interning at the Spencer Museum of Art on KU's campus. I'm thrilled to learn more about this field that I'm so passionate about. Today on the show, I speak with Steve Johnson, treasurer at the BRS Baseball Museum in Nokomis, Illinois. BRS stands for the last names of Jim Bottomley, Red Ruffing, and Ray Schalk, three Baseball Hall of Famers from the Nokomis area. Steve talks in-depth about each of their careers in this episode. It's neat to think that all three overlapped close to 100 years ago. For my overtime segment this week, I'll be exploring the career of Reed Detmers, who made news earlier this baseball season by throwing a no-hitter for the Los Angeles Angels. He grew up in Nokomis and is continuing the long tradition of baseball in South Central Illinois. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Steve. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm speaking to Steve Johnson, treasurer at the BRS Baseball Museum in Nokomis, Illinois. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Hey, you're welcome. I wanted to start off with your introduction to baseball in the Central Illinois area. Did you grow up around there and how did you get into baseball? Yeah, I grew up in Nokomis. It's a town of about 2,200 people. Uh, it's about an hour and a half northeast of St. Louis, so Cardinal country for the most part, and got indoctrinated into baseball at a young age and been a fan ever since. Yeah, that's the same for me, Steve. Only Steve can see this, but the uh, background I have when I zoom is a Royals flag and then a picture of George Brett and Brett Saberhagen um, in the 1985 World Series. So big Royals fan for me. So it's kind of fun Royals-Cardinals rivalry here, but I went to a Cardinals game earlier this spring and and like Bush Stadium a lot. So it's a it's a good, good ball team for sure. Yeah. How did the museum get started? Because I know it was a small institution just in like a, a window, I believe, for a, the first part of its history. And then what was kind of the, the origin story of the museum? Yeah. Um, in 1981, a few folks around here realized, hey, we had two Hall of Famers that grew up in Nokomis. Jim Bottomley, first baseman for the Cardinals. In the 1920s and 30s, he was part of the Gas House Gang, if you're familiar with that. He grew up in Nokomis and Red Roofing. He grew up in Nokomis. He was one of the main pitchers for the Yankees in the 30s and 40s, teammates with the likes of Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. He had six wins in Game 1s of World Series. So he was the game one starter. I think he had a six and one record huh. in game one situations. So the go-to guy uh, in that era for the Yankees, which at that time, of course, was the team. Uh, so those two gentlemen both grew up in Nokomis. Uh, they moved here as young children. Uh, this was a mining area, coal mining area, uh, heavily at that time. So their, their folks came in and they spent their formative years here. And those two, like I said, were elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, Jim Bottomley, in 1974 after he had passed and Red Roofing in 1967. So a few years later, there were some folks around here that said, hey, we need to start honoring these, these guys. So in 1981, in a restaurant window, sprang up the Bottomley Roofing Baseball Museum, the Schalk, the S. Uh, in BRS is for Ray Schalk. He was added within a couple of years of the museum's formation because he also grew up in Montgomery County, which is where Nokomis is located, born in the village of Harville, grew up in the city of Litchfield, all within the county here, 
Uh, he was the catcher for the White Sox in the 19 teens and 20s. He was on the Black Sox team of 1919. Not one of the eight men out, as the movie would show, but was known for his hustle and was a, a real uh, spark plug for, the, for that era. And anyway, he also then became part of the museum namesake in, I think it was 1984. And ever since then, the museum has grown over time. We've honored approximately 120 people from the South Central Illinois area, which is kind of defined as a 60-mile radius from Nokomis. Anybody that's contributed significantly to the game of baseball. We have anywhere from Hall of Famers to folks that have played in the major leagues, minor leagues, or I think we even have a bus driver as one of the honors. So, you know, it, it, spans, it spans the gamut, and we're just excited to be able to, to keep the baseball tradition alive and hope to, to continue to do so. Yeah, I think that's really important, Steve, to honor the famous people, for lack of a better word, from the area. But then can you talk about some of the lesser known folks in the museum, like the bus driver, like some of the maybe high school coaches in that area? Because I know that's a rich baseball area, as you just described. So what's the impact of some of the lesser known honorees? A lot of these folks, I don't know. You know, they 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 came through right. a lot longer ago than I did, and they've all left their mark in different eras. You know, we've got anywhere, you know, like I said, I think we hit 119 at our last induction ceremony, which was last fall. One person that is in there is Rose Skidmore. He is from Decatur, uh, which is about an hour from here. He is one of a handful of major leaguers that has a perfect batting average. He was one for one. He, he got one at bat for the Cubs in 1970, got a hit in September of that year. And didn't get another chance, but he can always, he always reminds you that, Hey, I I'm, I'm batting a thousand still. So that, that's pretty impressive. The, the two founders of the museum were Joe Kemp, Merle Wright. I, I did not know Mr. Wright. He had passed shortly after the museum's founding, but Joe Kemp had really put a lot of work into the museum and kept it going for a long time. Uh, he passed about 10 years ago but was the, was the founder that really kept the museum uh, dream going for a number of years. So he, he's kind of an unsung guy. Uh, we also have Robert Ish Smith. He was one of the guys that was instrumental in getting baseball into the Olympics back in 1984. He really pushed for that. He was the president at one time of Greenville College here in Illinois. He passed within the last year or two, but a lot of good people have, have uh, put their baseball knowledge to work in this area. And I know that that's true in a lot of places around the country as well. But just within this county, like I said, we've got three of we almost have one percent of the full National Baseball Hall of Fame roster. So well, that, that's uh, something we can hang our hat on here. For sure. That's really impressive for a, a little area in Illinois. I wondered if Jim Bottomley and Red Ruffing, did they know each other or did they know they were from each from Nakomis? Do you know that? Oh, sure. Yes, um, they had a and I'll probably get part of the details wrong, but they had a. Uh, they would have after the season, they would have a day here in town. And I think they would they had a Nokomis day down, I believe, at the old Sportsman's Park. And I think both of those guys might have been in attendance there. 
they, they certainly were familiar with one another. Roofing's career spanned from 1924 to 1947, and bottomly from 1922 to 1937, while Schalk came in in 1912 into the major leagues, and his last game was in 1929. So there was a short time there where all three were active in the major leagues at the same time. And in fact, uh, Schalk started as a teenager in the major leagues. He was one day shy of turning 20 when he made his big league debut. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, not many folks can say that, especially for a catcher. That's really impressive. All right. I saw that uh, Jim Bottomley won an MVP award in the 1928 season, I believe. And some people might know his name for the RBI record in 12 in one game, which is quite impressive. So what were some of the other things that he was known for? Well, in that, in that MVP season, he had 42 doubles. He had 20 triples and 31 home runs. Wow. And doing 20-20-20, I think, has only been done maybe a handful of times in Major League history. Yeah. So that was, a, that was quite a feat. And obviously, triples were more common back then. I mean, he had 151 triples in his career and only, I'll say, only 219 home runs. But he was, you know, he was a, a strong hitter. He batted 310 for his career. In a somewhat more offensive era than, you know, maybe in the last 30 years or so where power has become king at the uh, at the behest of, of batting average. But still, like I said, that that was that uh, MVP season was, was uh, one for the books, literally. Yeah, that's great. And then a lot of people you talked about the murderers Row Yankees, and that's how or that's the team that Red Roofing was on. But he was their best pitcher. And so how did he become that ace pitcher well he started out with the uh, red sox and frankly struggled he he came up in 1924 he did not have a lot of success with them he also got sent over to the yankees a la babe ruth (laughs) yeah he came over in the 1930 season to new york he was 39 and 96 with the red sox wow Turned that around and and won 231 games for the Yankees. He is still, I believe, the winningest right-hander in Yankees history, which is a pretty rich history. Definitely. Not only that, he was an outstanding hitter. He hit 36 home runs as a pitcher. Well, 35 as a pitcher, one as a pinch hitter. He was a frequent pinch hitter in those days. He batted 269 for his career. He had 521 base hits. Wow. That took me aback. Wow. That is, uh, is that a record of some sort? Uh, I don't know if it's a record for a pitcher, but I know it's got to be pretty close. On the home run side, I think Wes Farrell has the home run record. I think he had 38 or 39 and, and Red had 35 as a pitcher. So he was right there. But uh, on the hits, like I said, yeah, he would. Now, not all of those would have been as a pitcher either. I mean, he, like I said, he had a lot of pinch hitting appearances, but still a, a two-way player, I guess, of some sort. And then Ray Schalk, I read, was a defense first catcher and one of the clean uh, Black Sox players. So did he just totally stay away from any of that gambling involvement? And what was kind of his uh, career like? Yeah, as far as we know, he was you know on the up and up. I think depicted in the Eight Men Out movie, I think he was one of the first ones that kind of had an inkling that something rotten was going on with uh, – the throwing of the series against the Reds, but he was one of the first to back up plays routinely at first base, you know, running down the line on a grounder to, to the infield. He made putouts at 
every base over the course of his career. I don't think many catchers have done that. First base, second base, third base, and of course, home plate. I don't know how he got to put out at second base, but I've heard the story about it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I wish I could see that. <laughs> well, there probably wasn't much video <laughs> from that era. But, um, right. You know, he, he was certainly a, a defense first catcher. You'll hear some arguments that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Of course, we disagree with that vehemently. I mean, he, you look at his stats and, you know, he had 11 home runs, not in a year. That was his career total. But that was in an era, you know, in the early teens and 20s, that was the dead ball era. Nobody hit home runs. And that wasn't what you were trying to do at that time. Especially as a catcher, yeah. Yeah. He played a lot of games. I forget how many, you know, I think they said he broke every finger on his hand you know, three or four times over the course of his career. So it was in there almost every day and really was the backbone of the team over the course. He played all but five games of his career with the White Sox. He finished up a short stint in 1929 over the National League with the Giants. Uh, of course, they were in New York at that time. But um, like I said, he ended up getting elected into the Hall of Fame. He was the first one to get in of these three, and that was back in 1955. Yeah, I grew up playing catcher and played all throughout high school, and I had read the name Ray Schalk when just kind of researching the position and, and some of the history from that era. And he was definitely a really, really good catcher. Yeah, and he was fast, too. He had 177 stolen bases. He had 30 of those in the 1916 season. And you'll like that he had the single-season record until John Watson okay. of the Royals broke that, I think, in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. So there's a Royals connection for you. Yeah, that's uh, some catcher speed. That's some, some rare air there. I like that as we were setting up this interview, Steve and I, uh, there was another Nokomis connection, Reed Detmer's ended up throwing a no-hitter um, for the Angels, like right as Steve and I were talking. So I thought that was a really fun connection to the area. And what kind of impact has he had and has that no-hitter had on the museum? Well, we've been, you know, so excited for him and his family over the past couple of weeks. But uh, just a magical night for Reed and, and for the family. The family uh, is all still here within the area. Reed grew up here. He actually... His, he and his family moved up near Springfield to Chatham for his senior season back in 2017. But his mom and dad both grew up here. His dad was a pitcher for the Cardinals minor league organization for six years. So there was some pedigree there. But certainly, uh, you know, he had a quite a meteoric rise here coming from little town of Nokomis up to the to the bigger towns and then on to the University of Louisville, where he really kind of came onto the scene his sophomore year. He had tied for the, I think, NCAA lead in wins uh, his sophomore season. I want to say he had 13 wins that year and really kind of established himself then. Then got into his senior, his junior season. Uh, got cut short by COVID. That's when that came out. I think he had four starts. And then picked in the first round, 10th overall pick by the Angels. And then really went through their minor league system yeah. uh, in 2021, since there was no minor league season in 20. He then got called up early August. I think his debut was on the 1st of August of 2021 uh, with the Angels. Mm -hmm. And he had five starts that year. And it was his sixth start this year that he, he threw the no-hitter. And, you know, it was... It was quite something to watch. I mean, each inning you got a little more nervous for him, and I, I was just so excited for that. Yeah. 
I love no hitters. That's one of my favorite things because you'll get the notification in like the sixth or seventh inning that it's happening and then make you turn on the TV and want to watch. And especially if there's a, a local connection or a, a connection to your favorite team, I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, it's one of those that you, you can't predict ahead of time. It's not like it's a milestone that, you know, the anticipation builds up for days and weeks, you know, 500 homers or, you know, 3,000 strikeouts or whatever. This is a yeah, just a, a lightning bolt that, you know, hey, I got to turn that game on and check it out. And you're hoping that things go well. And for, for him, it, it turned out as good as it could be. My Royals haven't thrown a no hitter since the early 90s. So I haven't seen one in my lifetime for my favorite team, but hopefully one's coming. Well, uh, your team has a World Series championship since the Cardinals. So there's, there's you get bragging rights in Missouri at this point. I'd say that's a, that's a good trade-off, yeah. <laughs> Steve was kind enough to send me some issues of the bullpen, which is the museum's newsletter. And um, one of the recent ones talked about their most recent induction ceremony, which I was uh, really excited about. And there were some notable names in that class, like Kevin Seitzer and Jason Wirth. So how did that induction go? And I think that had been uh, pushed back a little bit due to COVID. So it was probably really good to see people in person and get to induct some new folks. It was. We, we hit the right timing for that. We had it and we held that in November of 2021. Uh, it was the museum's 40th anniversary. So we wanted to get a good class there. And we were fortunate enough. Uh, we, we, we were not able to get Kevin Seitzer. He had uh, some issues after the season that he had to deal with. Of course, he was busy celebrating a World Series championship as a coach for the Atlanta Braves. Right. Which, by the way, is managed by Brian Snitker, who is from Macon, Illinois, which is within our 60 mile radius. So hmm. Brian Snitker will be on our radar for induction here uh, in the not too distant future, I'm sure. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So so although we didn't get uh, Kevin Seitzer, we did get Jason Worth and his stepfather, Dennis Worth, who also had played in the major leagues. Uh, they both were able to attend the ceremony, which we were very excited to have both of them and especially Jason to, to take the time to come down and check us out. And Jason, of course, attended Chatham Glenwood High School, which is where Reed Detmers ended up finishing his high school career. So there's a little bit of a tie in with that. Uh, we also had, you know, we had a six person class that came in and we were really grateful to, to have as many folks attend as we were able to get. For sure. I think it's important to induct um, different honorees. And that's a big part of the podcast, too, is asking different museums how they do their inductions and letting them um, speak about that. So I think that's really cool that you guys continue that up in Nokomis. We've had ceremony in 2021. We had one in 2017 and we had one in 2011. Uh, before that, it was kind of a hit or miss. You know, as I mentioned, the museum founder, Joe Kemp, I think he would just put some in on his own, maybe in addition to the bullpen, he might put one guy in and just talk about him for a little bit. So it, it's kind of varied over the years. The goal was to do one of those ceremonies every two to three years to keep the interest up. And we started that in 2011 with the 30th anniversary. And that class included Jeff Facero, who of course pitched for a long time in the major leagues and uh, Dick Schofield Jr. You know, we had several that night in attendance as well. Uh, we were going to do that, like I said, every two or three years. And then 2014 came along and we ended up getting a traveling exhibit from the Smithsonian Institution. So that took a lot of our time in 2013 and 2014 to put on. 
but that really drew a great crowd. You know, we had more people attend and come into the museum than we've ever had. It, it was one of those, as I said, it's a traveling exhibit. It was uh, how sports shape America. So it fit right into the museum's wheelhouse. We had a number of volunteers that would work. We were open 12 hour days every day for six weeks while we had this exhibit. And we're, now we're open, you know, one day a week if we're, you know, sometimes if we're lucky, but we were able to tie that in with some community events. So it was, it was nice to have. And then of course we then going back to the inductions, uh, we, we were able to pick those back up. 2017, we had Kirk Reeder here, of course, longtime pitcher for the Giants and had started his career with the Expos. Uh, he was gracious enough to come up from the Nashville, Illinois area. He was very gracious. He was impressed with the museum, and, and we were we were glad to to have him in attendance that evening as well. Yeah. What are some of the artifacts that you have, and what will people see when they visit the museum? Yeah, we we have a bat that we think is used by was used by Bottomley. I don't have any confirmation, but I don't have any way to say that it was not. Mm-hmm. We've had that on loan to a couple of other area attractions as well over the years. We try to keep a pretty close eye on that, but um, yeah, we <laughs> we have a glove that Ray Shaw could use, a catcher's mitt. That's an interesting one to look at for sure. And we have a uniform that Red Roofing wore as a Yankee. Uh, it was donated by his son. Hmm. I believe it was the only one, or at least the last one, that the family had. And they were gracious enough to to donate that to the museum. And we've got all of those particular items in our main display area. Um, of course, we have lots of other interesting items, too. I mean, we're, we, it's about a 2,000 square foot facility. You know, we've got a couple of cases of you know, old baseball cards from the 50s of various folks. We have a case, a display case of items from the area honorees and even those that aren't honorees at this time, but have at least uh, hailed from the region, maybe not actual 60 mile radius criteria that we've set. We have a bat signed, signed by Jim Tomei. Jim is from the Peoria, Illinois area, which is outside of our range, but we still keep that, you know, it, it's, still close enough to to count for that and the last thing that i'd want to mention is that we've put up a a huge map of the state of illinois kind of like what you'd see while you know a highway map that's blown up to about eight foot tall and what we've done is put a like a push pin in every town the southern basically from peoria to the south of anybody that played at least one major league game and where they're from. So there's a lot of pins in there. And we and, and flanking that would be uh, the statistics that they had while they were in the major leagues. So that's kind of a neat item that you wouldn't find necessarily anywhere else. I like that because it ties it to people's hometowns and they'll probably, oh, I didn't know he was from there or, oh, I'm from there. So that's neat that somebody played in the majors from that town. And I think that's the important part of a local museum like you all is that people can have those family connections and hometown connections too. So what's the impact of not just your all's museum, but other like local history around the Nokomis area? You know, it, it's, yeah, it's ties in the past, you know, at, at one time we were, I wouldn't say accused isn't the right word, but you know, you'd hear, Oh, well, that's the place where there's a lot of the old stuff. Well, we are celebrating the past, but we're also celebrating the present and celebrating what 
we hope is the future of of this area with uh, Reed Detmer's no hitter that certainly got the present uh, back to the forefront a little bit here. And, and I must say that the town has been very receptive to the museum over the years. You know, we've had various fundraisers and things like that, of course, like any, any place would have, uh, but, but the town and the area uh, has, has uh, stepped up when, when we've asked them and, and needed some things. That's great. I uh, was looking at the honoree list and a couple names stuck out to me, a couple other Hall of Famers, um, Robin Roberts and Red Shandies. So what, what are their connections to the area? Yeah, uh, Red Shandies was from the Germantown, Illinois area, which was just to the east of St. Louis. He was brought into the museum as part of the class of 2011. He was not able to attend. He was still alive at that time. But, you know, he was with the Cardinal organization, I think, for 60 some years. So. You know, from a player to a coach to manager and you know, probably everything else in between, he, he was just a real uh, standout, standout guy in, in the baseball community. And Robin Roberts was born in Springfield, and he, of course, played for the Phillies in the 50s. He had just some incredible numbers, very durable pitcher. I mean, I think he had he had some incredible streak that I can't think of right now of, of complete games. You know, in an era where, of course, complete games happened. But, you know, while he was still alive as well, he came down to the museum at one of its locations. I believe that was back in the early 90s. And I remember I, I was able to meet him at that point. And that was, you know, that was impressionable to a kid of my age at that point. Heck, I'd be impressed with that now. So, you know. <laughs> you know, it, it, we're, we're just so always so grateful for the folks that can uh, take some time out and come down and, and check us out. And you'll get the people, the, the honorees that were, you know, that came in in the last induction class. They were the, those that were able to attend. They were all very gracious and they all were, you know, impressed with the amount of uh, items that we had on display. And you'll get a lot of folks that come in as visitors and, you know, they'll say, oh, I didn't know we had so many people from this area. Or, you know, I, I was a fan, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, and, I'm, and I want to get back into it. So we, we try to keep the, the spirit of the game alive. Yeah, that's a great spot to kind of wrap up our conversation, Steve. How can folks get involved with the BRS Museum? Well, we have the, you know, you mentioned earlier the bullpen. That's our bi-monthly publication that we put out to members. And you can become a member just by joining. I mean, it's a $15 a year fee, but you get the bullpen six times a year. It'll have a recap of, you know, just about anything. <laughs> we, we try to honor, we try to look at one of the honorees each issue. There might be a, a quiz in there one time or something else, or, you know, lately we'll, th this next edition will be a, a Reed Detmer's heavy <laughs> edition. But yeah, you know, we're online at brsmuseum.org. Uh, if you want to reach out to us there, you know, we have email, we have a Facebook page. I don't do Facebook myself, but I know we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter page and I can get you all of that information. Yeah, I'll be sure to link to that on the podcast episodes show notes. And so people can check out that um, website and social media pages if they would like. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share a few of the stories that, we, that we've talked about today. Well, thank you, Steve, for your time today. It's been a lot of fun. I'm a huge baseball fan, so it's really cool getting to hear about some of the connections that um, this area in Illinois has. And thank you for what you're doing to preserve the history and, and 
the present as well with Reed Detmers and um, the future folks from the area. So thank you, Steve. I appreciate your time. Thank you. No hitters are such a fun part of baseball fandom. You get an MLB app notification that a pitcher is a no hitter through six innings, head to your TV or computer and watch with eager anticipation. Counting down the final nine outs is an incredible feeling as a fan and one that just a few hundred pitchers in Major League Baseball history can attest to. Reed Detmers caused so many Nokomis area residents to stop what they were doing and tune in to his start on May 10th. Steve and I chatted about Detmers a little bit, but I wanted to dig a little deeper into the career of this budding ace. Reed Detmers was born July 8, 1999 in Nokomis, Illinois. Reed was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the 32nd round of the 2017 MLB Draft out of Glenwood High School in nearby Chatham, Illinois, but chose to attend Louisville instead. Reed pitched from 2018 to 2020 at Louisville, but his junior season was cut short due to COVID, and boy was he dominant as a Cardinal. In his sophomore season as a 19-year-old in the ACC, he finished 13-4 with a 2.78 ERA plus 167 strikeouts to just 33 walks. After the abbreviated 2020 campaign, Reed was drafted 10th overall by the Los Angeles Angels, who have desperately needed pitching during the past decade. There was no minor league season in 2020, so Reed spent his time developing and adjusting to life in pro baseball at the Angels' alternate training site. In an article by Baseball America that I'll link to in the episode show notes, Reed was described as probably the most polished pitcher in the entire draft. The 6'2", 210-pound lefty features a low 90s fastball and also throws a curveball, slider, and changeup, all of which were on display during that magical night in May. Facing the Tampa Bay Rays on May 10th for his fifth start of the young season, Detmers came into the evening with a 1-1 record and a 5.32 ERA on the season. It was his 11th career start. Hat tip to the BRS Museum's bullpen publication for that stat. Steve sent me several of the recent issues, and they feature all of the notable happenings related to South Central Illinois baseball. As Reed was mowing through the Rays lineup, his friends in the Angels lineup jumped on the Rays starter Corey Kluber, scoring eight runs in just the first three innings, putting the game out of reach right away. And yes, your memory is correct. This is the same game where Anthony Rendon hit a home run left-handed off of position player pitcher Brett Phillips. You gotta love baseball. Reed just walked infielder Taylor Walls to lead off the sixth inning, but Walls was quickly erased on the bases due to a double play. He was the only Rays base runner of the evening. Detmers never threw more than 19 pitches in an inning and dominated the Rays lineup. Although he only struck out two batters, the fewest in a no-hitter since Jerry Royce's no-no in 1980. Since Detmers threw his no-hitter, the BRS Museum in his hometown has wrote about him in their bullpen publication. Plus, they're selling packs of three Detmers cards during the Nokomis Homecoming Festival held July 9th and 10th. Some neat cards will be sold to benefit the museum. Although Reed hasn't duplicated his no-hitter yet this season, he's maintained a solid 3.83 ERA as of this recording and has established himself as an above-average Major League pitcher with much more potential. It'll be exciting for the Nokomis area plus all of us to follow his exciting young career. You can find the BRS Baseball Museum online at brsmuseum.org or in Nokomis, Illinois, which is about an hour southeast of Springfield and 90 minutes northeast of St. Louis. I'll link to the museum's website, Facebook page, and more info on Reed Detmers in the show notes for this episode. Thanks to Steve for a fun baseball conversation. I hope you enjoyed episode 24 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. Be sure to check out Hallowed Ground's episode archive on your podcast app for interviews with folks from the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, Kansas Sports Hall of Fame, and many more. Thanks in advance. Until next time, sports fans.